0: It's at time again to go beyond the jive. Jive, 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 jive. Join our hosts, John Swan and Natalie B. Brave the state of beginning to reap the sweet rewards. All you hive jive junkies out there, this is
1: the Hive The Hive, hive Jive. jive. Today we're going to talk about the opposite of apitherapy. <laughs> when bee stings go bad.
0: <laughs> so, we're going to talk about what happens when you are exposed to bee stings and there's an allergic reaction that happens and what you should do.
1: And so at the very beginning of this to to preface this and and set this aside you the first thing you need to understand is the true definition of an allergic reaction versus a local reaction. We use the term allergy way too frequently, and most of the time it does not correctly apply. So the old statistics were that roughly only two percent of the population is genetically predispositioned to be allergic to a bee sting or any of the Hymenotra family where you have bees, ants, wasps, things like that, only 2% of the population is truly genetically predispositioned to be allergic to that. An allergy is whole body encompassing. You can get stung or bit on your hand and your whole body will break out in hives and rashes. And the worst case scenario is you go into anaphylactic shock and your throat starts swelling shut. That is an allergy. That's an allergic reaction. What the rest of the population typically experiences is a local reaction. And a local reaction is not an allergy. That's what's intended to happen whenever you get or stung. You get a sting on your hand and you may have a tiny little red dot. It may swell up to the size of a quarter. Your entire hand may swell. It could swell all the way up to your elbow or your shoulder. That is still a local or a large local reaction. It is not an allergy. It does not mean you're allergic to bees and it doesn't mean you're going to die. It just means, oh, crap, that hurt. Don't do that again.
0: <laughs> exactly. So, you know, a lot of uh, people th- will walk around and say, oh, I can't be around bees. I'm I'm allergic. Uh, you know, I've got anaphylactic reaction and, and they don't know really allergic uh, is really. The reaction that we all have, for the most part, localized, and then we can have a larger one that looks scary. Uh, you can have the your hand swells up to the size of a baseball, or your entire arm swells up, and, and that's kind of still a large localized reaction. It's not um, you don't have a bee allergy, a bee sting allergy yet, right? What happens when you have a, a actual allergic uh, when you are actually allergic to bee stings? as opposed to having an allergic reaction, is you're gonna have dizziness, um, hard hard palpitations, you're gonna be faint, you're gonna just not be able to breathe. There's all kinds of things that are gonna happen on some other parts of your body than where you were stung. like uh, you get a rash on your leg when you got stung on your hand. And so those very um, extreme reactions together form um, that anaphylactic reaction and it can kill you.
1: It can. It, yeah, it, it certainly can. And there are some instances where you may not be genetically predispositioned for that, but you can develop it over time. And most of those instances are when people have had severe and traumatic experiences where they ran into, yeah, you know, ground nesting hornets or they've run into, bees and they've disturbed the entire nest and they got stung hundreds of hundreds of times and their body has to produce histamine to compensate for all of that poison that's entering the body and when they do they may survive that traumatic experience and everything is okay but what happens is the next time they get stung one time and their body panics and produces the same amount of histamine that it needed for the two to three hundred stings when there was only one sting and then there's not the venom in there to compensate that. And that causes a true anaphylactic system kind of shut down as well. But that was a learned response from a traumatic experience. So you can develop an allergy over time. But again, if you get stung and your hand swells up, even if you got sausage fingers and you can't bend them, that's not an allergy. That's not going to take your life. That's just nature's way of saying, don't mess with that critter. (laughs) Learn the lesson and don't do that Um, A funny thing that I ran into when I got up here I ran into this lady who saw that Like I had a bee on my hat or my shirt or something And um, she was a younger lady And she she brought up the fact of like Oh, you know, like something with bees You do something with bees? And I was like, yeah, we do beekeeping and stuff And I was like, you know, we make honey and all that And the kid next to her was like, oh, I, I love honey I want some of your honey And she goes, oh I can't eat honey. I'm allergic to bees. And I was like, wait, whoa, wait, hang on. Um, what do you mean you can't have honey because you're allergic to bees? And she's like, oh, well, I'm allergic to bees if I get stung. And I was like, well, that that doesn't have anything to do with honey. The bee venom is not in honey. That's not how honey isn't produced like that. So I'm not sure where you got that concept. But just because if you are even truly allergic to bees, the honey is still a whole separate thing. That's not the venom that's in there that's causing the allergy. So that one struck me. That's the first time I've ever heard that. (laughs)
0: Uh, So this being said, um, Les Crowder has a really good story, good story. I mean, it's kind of a a little uh, scary, but he had somebody that came into one of his classes and he was letting them try bee bread, you know, which is pollen mixed with some nectar, mixed with some enzymes from the bees and um, pickled and stored for later. And you know, he was letting people try, but this guy was super greedy and he took humongous bites and he's just shoved his face with the bee bread. And, and then the class was pretty much over and Les was chatting with people. And then somebody came back in and said, this guy, he's having a, a, he's on the ground. He's just not looking like there's something wrong. And they called 911. And the guy was an anaphylactic shock because he was reacting to those compounds that were produced by the bees so the same way you can be allergic to dogs you're going to be allergic to pet dander if you enter a house that's going to have some of those um, allergens you're going to have your reactions just like if the dogs not around right well that's the same thing with actually bee bread and honey and propolis and any of this stuff the people that are truly anaphylactically allergic to um to these things which is really just a very tiny percentage of the population i don't know what you said i don't remember what you said but actually like heard two, it's two percent is what i heard probably, yeah something yeah it's very a low very small amount of people mm-hmm. And the rest of the people are just having either uh, localized or large localized reactions to them. But if you are truly anaphylactically uh, allergic to um, products of the hive, you might get a reaction from eating honey or from bee bread, actually.
1: it's the Well, the bee bread is the, is the trick there because honey has trace amounts of pollen in it. And when people take yes. honey because they're trying to alleviate allergies – it is those trace amounts of the pollen that's actually helping do that. But it is the key of that is trace amounts. When you take bee bread, you're not taking just a single pollen grain. You're taking hundreds of them. And there is a lot of stuff out there about you have to start very slowly and slowly work your way up and don't overdo it because the pollen granules are the things that you are allergic to in nature. If you do have allergies towards Um, any of the pollens from like ragweed and things like that, all of that can be in that, that actual bee bread. You Mm -hmm. take a big old spoonful of it, your body's going to freak out. And that's not a good thing, but that still doesn't have anything to do with the sting of the bee. That's actually the stuff you're allergic to in the air. That has been concentrated down into that bee bread. So, yeah, that is that is something that definitely can happen as well. But again, I don't think that she even had that that concept of knowledge because she was trying to directly tie it from the the sting of the bee to the honey from the bee. And I was like, no, that one doesn't work. <laughs> uh,
0: the people think they're allergic to all kinds of things when it comes to bees, and and very often that's not really the case. Was
1: and- also kind of like the fact that most of the stings that people encounter in their yard are wasps and not bees
0: well okay so i have a big hole in my arm right now from a wasp thing first of all she just got me i was just walking by i was not doing anything so they're more (laughs) aggressive than typical
1: typical mo for a wasp (laughs) i wasn't doing anything
0: (laughs) I, i wasn't doing anything and um the bees tend to be defensive but the wasps are definitely much more aggressive and and it's been almost two weeks and what it does is that it it really the protein in your body it's just kind of digest them and you could end up with like a little hole and it sometimes gets infected and it's just kind of like that gross thing so it's something that's no fun a bee sting usually you pull out the stinger and you're fine you're going to have some swelling and all that stuff. Sometimes you might get a little bit of an infection if your skin was dirty, but more, more often than not, we get those infections from us scratching.
1: Yeah. Don't scratch.
0: And then when we scratch, we actually are release, releasing more of those histamines and then that makes it worse, right? It's a vicious circle. And very often we'll make the, the area more swollen because we've been scratching and it's going to last longer because of it.
1: Now, technically everybody watching or listening to this at this point i would think that you all should know this this should be common knowledge but just in case if you do get stung by a bee and the stinger is still in you rewind back to season one of the podcast do not pinch do not grab and pinch that stinger to pull it out because the venom sack is on the end of it and if you do that it's going to inject all of the venom from the sack into you at once, which will cause a larger area reaction than if you would have just gotten stung and then take it out. You do want to scratch, quote unquote, the stinger out. But by, by that definition, what you're meaning is take your fingernail and go across it. Use uh, like the edge of a credit card, the edge of a knife. You just want to scratch across that because what it's going to do is catch the stinger and pull it out without actually smashing that venom sack. Once it's out of your body, that's fine. And trust me, you don't feel it coming out because it already hurts like hell from getting stung to begin with. So it's just that's an inconsequential aspect of it. But that's how you get the stinger out of there. Now, outside of all of these, like this is what can happen type scenario, the other thing that goes along with this and goes hand in hand with it are EpiPins. And yeah. even when I started doing beekeeping, I was advised that I should get an EpiPin. I am not allergic to bees. But I was advised that I should get one just in case, two things. One, what if I ever got into a situation where I did start having that issue? Or if you're doing something with someone else, what if they have an issue? So you should have that EpiPen on hand. Now, there's been some comments and some things here of late that actually shine a lot of interesting light on this from the other perspective, from like a medical perspective, as to whether or not that's a good idea. Um, EpiPens are not cheap. They used to be when I first started, they weren't so horrible. You could get it one single pin for under a hundred dollars. Now they're about 150 each minimum and they usually come in a two pack. So you're looking at 300 plus dollars and they have an expiration date. They don't last indefinitely.
0: And they're perishable if you don't keep them in the fridge or something. Carrying
1: carrying them around in the toolbox of your truck in Texas when it's 110 degrees, that EpiPen is not going to work for you if you need it because you have destroyed it with the temperature. Um, So that that's that aspect. But I'll let Natalie touch on the the reasons why it may not be in your best interest to potentially have an EpiPen.
0: So there's a couple of things. First of all, you're not trained to use the epipen, uh, and and that's something that actually everybody should be trained in how to use an epipen. Because what happens is there are some people that are truly allergic to things, whether it's bee stings, whether it's um, peanuts, or or, or some of the things, and they carry epipens with them everywhere they go. And if they fall into, um, you know, the uh, truly anaphylactic reactions will uh, create cardiac arrhythmia, um, you know, they, they can stop your heart. They can, you can not breathe. You can have swelling of your airways and, and just kind of really lethal reactions. And they might not be in a position to administer themselves with their own EpiPen for, you know, if they can get to them. So everybody should be trained on how to use them if needed. Now, if that EpiPen hasn't been prescribed to you for medical reasons, like you need it for yourself in case you have an anaphylactic reaction, then it's highly um, ill-advised to administer it either to yourself or somebody else because they can also create um, heart issues, stop your heart and things like cardiac arrest. And so it's, it's something that's very um, uh, dangerous to use Even as is so the um, the usually what you want to do is call 911. And if somebody has an EpiPen, they you should know how to use it. Or if you call 911, they will guide you through how to use it. And if you've got. um, If you even have one that you've gotten for yourself as a just-in-case for visitors or for yourself not having those known anaphylactic reactions, calling 911 will allow them to guide you step-by-step through an analysis of what's going on, making sure that's truly an anaphylactic reaction, and also instruct you on how to use it. What happens is that very often people will think that, well, I'm going to be saving a life. This is the good Samaritan law. But you haven't been prescribed those. You're using a tool that's not yours to use. And so if you call 911, then you are actually covered again because a medical expert, somebody that knows how to use those EpiPens, will be instructing you on how to do that. And that's the only way I think we should be administering an EpiPen uh, as if we don't use one for ourselves and we should never administer it on somebody else unless we have some medical advice guiding us through it.
1: That's a very, very, very good point because you, if you don't know and you panic and use it and it, it was not an anaphylactic situation, say they were having a seizure that was brought on by something else and coincidentally you just thought it was because of that, you could cause more harm than good by amplifying that situation or causing, like you said, other types of cardiac events that wouldn't happen necessarily if it truly was an anaphylactic situation or still could, but that's the the trade-off of at least you're still alive, but you don't want that burden and responsibility to be on yourself just because you assumed that, yeah, you wanted to do that. And also, again, where did you keep the EpiPen? Like if it's been in your pickup truck for two years and you take it out and you use it on somebody that could have some consequences as well, because you may not be injecting them with something that's actually going to do any good or help. And that could cause some problems. So you definitely want to be mindful of all of that type of of information. When it comes to that, keep your EpiPen stored in a place where it's supposed to be. If you do bring it with you, you only bring it with you for that specific event. It's not just constantly there and you know reach out to somebody who is actually a professional and has the knowledge and they can guide you through that system. If you do call 911, the operator is going to stay on the phone with you and talk through different scenarios and situations so that they can better advise the medical crew that's coming what the situation truly is and they can walk you through CPR, they can walk you through if it truly is an anaphylactic situation and there's an EpiPen on hand, how to use that EpiPen as Natalie said. So don't you know? Just take it lightly and have it just because you think you know you're going to be cavalier and oh, it's it's cool because I've got this thing. It might not necessarily be, and if you're not truly allergic yourself, it's it's not a three hundred dollar investment that you need to have because that three hundred dollar investment is going to expire because you're not going to end up using it, and then you're going to have to buy it again. And it, it's just there's too much that could potentially go wrong, right? Than necessarily the opportunities for you to ever actually need to use it.
0: Right, and that that uh, goes into liability, right? So, what are you liable for? And if you're with people in a group, and and you're not teaching a class, or you're not running this as a business, it's one thing. You're not liable for anything if you're not intervening. If you are running a business and you're teaching classes as a beekeeper, I would highly recommend you look into uh, an umbrella policy for insurance and or making sure your agreements with your customers are detailed as and explain all the risks, the potential risks associated to being around stinging insects, including anaphylactic shock, including death. If you don't list those risks up front and people are not made aware of those, then you become somewhat liable if something happens again. So it's not just the EpiPens when it comes to beekeeping and um you know, things that you're doing with bees, if you're doing removals and there are people around you that get stung, if the neighbor's dog, because you've got uh, bees in your yard gets stung to death or or the little kids that's jumping on the trampoline, you got to keep those things in mind and kind of uh, cover yourself uh, legally.
1: Absolutely. And when you are signing up for insurance, they're going to ask you those questions. And even if you're just signing up for a policy because you extract honey and, you know, you want to have some of that insured, they're going to say is there ever anybody on your property you know that could be around the bees do you ever teach classes are there ever do you ever take students around the hives you know things like that and then if so they're going to want to know how often how many and they will craft the policy towards that type of thing i carried insurance the entire time that i did bee removals for multiple reasons. One, if you're opening up somebody's structure, you want to make sure you're covered in case you accidentally screw something up. And then two, you do have that umbrella policy out there for instances where something could have gone wrong. But the biggest part of all of that is planning ahead, preparation, and safety. Having safety precautions in place to make sure the neighbors have all been notified. Everybody's told to stay inside, keep your pets inside. Definitely don't have an animal chained up where they can't get away Um, Things along those lines are actually more important, but I will go back though and say, if you truly do have an allergy, if you are part of that 2% that is truly allergic and you have been medically diagnosed to truly be allergic and medically prescribed the EpiPen, then more power to you. We are not Mm. saying EpiPens are bad. We are saying... General beekeepers who have no need for them should not be just carrying them around willy-nilly. That's what we're trying to get at there. It is a very specific tool for a very specific problem. And if that problem does not apply to you, think twice before necessarily doing that and using it because you are taking a lot of that liability and responsibility on yourself. And it, it could turn into one of those scenarios where they say no good deed goes unpunished. That's that's, right. that's really the main part of that. But if you are supposed to have one, that's fine.
0: <laughs> and it's not either um, um, a, a dig on EpiPens, the brand. I know that we're talking about a specific brand because everybody accepts it as, you know, the main. It's clean. What, what, what we mean is epi, epinephrine pens
1: of yes. all kinds. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it's the same concept as Kleenex. Kleenex mm-hmm. does not mean the tissue. Kleenex is the name right. of the company, That's but right. it has become synonymous with a tissue or Q-tip is the name of right. the brand, exactly. but it's become synonymous with the little stick with cotton on the end of it for your ears and such, you know. Like we have just associated those names with those products. So EpiPen kind of goes the same way. That is a brand name. Um, and you know, there are other ways of doing that. There is actually, you can get epinephrine itself in a bottle for way cheaper right. than you can one of the auto injection pins. That's that's one of the other aspects of that too. But that's again, that's a whole nother thing. Now you got to know dosages, you got to know that's injection true. procedures, like it, it's a slippery slope.
0: <laughs> what can we do? It is what can we do if we get stung? What are the things that help? So the medical doctor that was talking about this whole thing was also giving some uh recommendations. A couple of things that he can do is Ice or water to kind of cool off the area. The antihistamines and one of the other big brand name that everybody uses almost interchangeably is Benadryl. Benadryl. Yeah, and uh, they even make a cream that yep. you can apply locally that has antihistamines in it and Benzocaine, I think just kind of the pain to numbing. help
1: to help with the numbing and the itching. It's uh, it is. They Benadryl sells one specifically for bug bites and stings. That is a clear kind of squirt on gel. It kind of gets sticky when you rub it in there, but you can put that on the area and it does help deaden it takes away the itch and it has the antihistamine to combat the histamine in that location. But those are all site specific treatments to the actual area, ice pack on that area, Benadryl localized on that area
0: um like getting
1: the stinger if it was truly a honeybee getting the stinger out as quick as possible will minimize that area as well um there's a lot of different things that can go through that and you can even go down a very deep rabbit hole of old wives tales and home remedies of things that supposedly help with bee stings as well so there's kind of like no end to that type of scenario that you can do but there's a lot of things out there That can minimize the effects and just know that they are temporary. It might last 24 hours. If it was multiple stings, it could last a little bit longer and it will affect a wider area. Uh, But most of the time the swelling goes away the next day you might have like a little tender spot and it might itch a little bit. And then a day or two after that you, you don't even really think about it unless Correct. it's a wasp sting. And in that case, you know, like it can do still be later. swelling 24 <laughs> hours later and then it can, you know, it can cause other issues and problems. So for certain.
0: <laughs> yeah. And, and then, um, the, when you're a beekeeper and you do get stung on a regular basis, you probably talked about it on the podcast before you end up, uh, maybe at the beginning of the season, you'll react a little bit more but then you won't even react you, you will still feel the pain it still hurts no matter what when you get yeah, stung. you still
1: say four letter words every time
0: yeah, Exactly, <laughs> it still burns right there's still acid in there yeah
1: yeah the i have not been stung now in quite a while knock on wood i'm not saying that i want to um but i haven't had any bees around me to sting me for <laughs> quite a bit now
0: you haven't had the opportunity to get stung
1: yeah. We are we are going on 6 months of me being a beeless beekeeper. Um how you doing it?
0: I don't know, how I, don't know <laughs> how. I would be freaking out.
1: <laughs> uh I I thought I did think that we were going to get close to catching a swarm here last weekend because we had had a whole week full of rain and I knew and I think I, we mentioned it on here too that I knew that that meant colonies that had been cooped up probably were likely to swarm that weekend when the sun came out. So I put up swarm traps everywhere and I did have bees at um technically all but one of the swarm traps that I was able to get to to observe. I had bees checking them out, but it may just be one or two here, one or two there. But the, the comfort hive, over by the house that was kind of up underneath the deck got a lot of attention. And I was super excited. Cause I was like, Oh, this is it. This is it. They're going to move in. I'm going to have bees. They yeah. didn't move in. <laughs> so they I chose know. somewhere else that wasn't any of our traps. So unfortunately so, I still have no bees.
0: It's so disappointing. You know, honeybee democracy describes the whole voting uh, phenomenon and everything. And you, when you see hundreds of bees yeah. checking out your, and you're like, they're gonna be here within ten minutes. I can tell. There's there a hundred bees going in and out, measuring everywhere, and then they're gone. That's so disappointing. It's like you got voted
1: out. Yep. And the, the the way that that process works, there will be a lull, kind of like the the calm before the storm. Yeah. You'll get all this activity, and there'll be tons of stuff going on, and then all of a sudden, everybody vanishes because mm-hmm. all of those bees return back to the swarm cluster and yeah. tell everybody else, "Stop. We've made the decision." This place had the most activity. This is where we're going. Now let's all get prepared and go. And then they guide everybody back to that site. So you will get a lot of interest and it will build and build and build. And suddenly there's, you know, 150 bees or so flying around out there. And then all of a sudden it's quiet. And then here comes this tornado of bees that just funnel into that area. So That's kind of what we were experiencing. We never really got up into the hundred range. There was like 30 or 40 of them out there, but it was building. And I was like, oh yes, yes. You know, and every time I would come by and look, there'd be a little bit more activity going on. And then I looked out there and there was nothing. And I was like, okay, this is it. They're going back to get everybody and they're coming back and here they come. And then nothing.
0: (laughs) Same thing this spring. I was just like, oh, they're coming. They went to get their friends and they never came back.
1: So well, I, well so also because of this like I knew I know that swarm went somewhere. So then I was like, all right, now I got to go check all Where the traps. <laughs> I got to see did they maybe choose a different one that I wasn't paying attention to. So let me go a little bit further out. Let me go look. Let me go look at the old hive that's still set up, you know, that's a full Langstroth hive and see if, if they went to there. Nothing. Nothing. <laughs> I was like, ah.
0: <laughs> They'll get there. You'll get bees soon.
1: We'll see. If not, I have a shitload of chickens. <laughs>
0: you're, you're, you're switching over to chickens. Your your supplier, did she get back to you guys at all after that flooding? She has
1: not. Well, she, she got back to us to say the whole part about um, she didn't have as many losses as she expected, but they were severely set back, which you and I both were like, what? Um, but... I don't know. She hasn't contacted anybody. And like, she hasn't reached out and said, Hey, we're going to have to do a refund, but she also hasn't reached out and said, Hey, your bees are ready. So, and I, and when she was like, are you guys okay with, you know, waiting until they, they get built up to that point? I'm kind of like, well, what are you, she didn't specify a timeline. Does she mean like June? Is she talking about July? Right. This fall when she's harvested all the honey from them? Like what, what is she getting at?
0: (laughs) Well, it's a little bit different on the seasons over where you are now, I guess. Also, they're a little bit behind, probably a good month at least.
1: Oh, minimum, Uh, maybe even a little bit more, which sounds odd. But, you know, in Texas, you your flowers start blooming in February half the time. And by March, you've got wildflowers everywhere. And a lot of them are the main wildflowers for the main nectar flow, which you normally wouldn't see until like May and June, but they've already started blooming and you can see them along the roadways and stuff. Here on top of the mountain, we literally just started having wild daisies bloom just okay. this week. So like it, the the wildflowers themselves are just starting to come in. Now there were stages. There's uh, two different types of purple flowers. One of them is henbit. And the other one, I forget the name of, but they will blanket an entire field in purple. Oh, cool. Those did come early and it was about a month, like they were out there and then they kind of went away off the hillsides. And then they started being replaced by a bunch of tiny little yellow flowers, which these are not on my property and they're off the sides of highway. So I haven't went out there to actually get a closer look and see what they were. Um, it kind of reminded me of bee brush, the, the yellow blooms that would be on that are like broomweed kind of thing but small Mm -hmm. and early, early, early in the year. But that's kind of the coloration that it had out there. Um, After the purple went away, you had that. Now you're starting to get some of the flowers showing up in the ditches. Uh, The buttercups and things like that are out there as well. So it's getting there slowly but surely. The main nectar source here, though, in the early spring were the trees. All of the different types of trees. The dogwoods were a huge bloom um, the red buds. And so that, that was like the early main part of it. Of course, now that's all gone. All the trees have leaves. We're starting to get some flowers out there. Um, I'm pretty sure that if I do ever get bees from her, it's going to be like immediate emergency care. They're just going to have to be fed or they're not going to make it to the point they need to be at. (laughs)
0: That's kind of disheartening, but you know,
1: at least you'll have bees. (laughs) That's right. But I got bees. (laughs) So yeah. Well, everybody, uh, thank you for for tuning in for this uh, you know the downside of bee stings and epipins episode here, and hopefully you learned something from it. If nothing else, it it makes you stop and think and contemplate, or at least if that situation were to come up or you were contemplating doing something, this may you know sink in there and you might stop and be like, oh wait, you know maybe I should call nine one one before I just react. Um, you know, you still want to help the individual. Yes. But you want to have that backup, that medical professional speaking in your ear, guiding you through the process. So uh, again, I hope that you enjoyed, I hope you found some little nuggets of information there to help you out on your own beekeeping adventures. And as always, we look forward to talking to you next week. So be good.
0: Be mindful. (laughs) Bye-bye. This Hive Jive production was made possible by amazing patrons like you. And we appreciate your support. To all our Hive Jive junkies out there, you truly are the bee's knees.